Please turn with me to Psalm chapter 63. The heading to Psalm 63 says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. When I was a child, I uh, learned a song that was based off of this psalm, and the words are as follows. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee, thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands unto thy name. So today I'd like to focus on verse 3 of this psalm. And in the ESV it reads, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I'd like to focus on the different parts of this verse. It speaks of the steadfast love of God. And so today I'm hoping the plan is to look at uh, and consider the love of God. It says that the love of God is better than life, so I'd like to consider what does that mean for God's love to be better than life. And how can anything be better than life? Life could be understood in different ways, but most straightforwardly, uh, we could take it literally. So let's start by looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23. In this chapter, King David and his mighty men are being spoken about. And in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 23, it says this, And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. If only 
the Lord would give us more leaders who would value their people as David did on that day. In Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 5, it says, God speaking, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In the Baptist Catechism, questions 72 through 74 discuss the Sixth Commandment. Question 72 asks, what is the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment is, thou shalt not kill. What is required in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. What is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment absolutely forbids the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tends thereto. We see here in the scriptures that we are commanded to protect life and we are commanded to preserve life and life is valued. And the psalmist himself also values life. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 20, he prays, Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. And of course, that should remind us of Christ who prayed this prayer, praying that his own life was precious. And he prayed to the Father saying, uh, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Paraphrase. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And yet, the scripture says that the loving kindness of the Lord is better than life. And how could it be that anything is better than life? It is because God is the one who gave us life. And he's the one to be valued above all things. But we know in our own experiences that there are many times where people have thought of uh, other things being more valuable than life or perhaps they've not valued their life as they should. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it speaks of a similar situation. Starting in verse 1, it says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has yet not been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. I've been taking a class on ethnic studies lately and uh, we're learning about all the horrible things that have happened in this country to uh, Native Americans and so forth. Um, we know through the history books that there are awful things that happen in this world. And we can also look in the news. And sometimes these things even come into our own lives. And there's nothing we can do to stop them from coming into our life, although we can take basic precautions. We are not promised that our life will be free of these things. But we do know that God is with us, and we do know that he hears our prayers, and that 
He even gives common grace to unbelievers so that even people who do not have faith in him have found the strength to persevere in the midst of the most tremendous difficulties. And so God would give us grace also. We can learn from those around us, both unbeliever and believer alike, and we can turn to the word of God and learn how to overcome and place our faith in Christ so we can say that it is well with our souls. Better than life, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with a situation where they had to put God before their own lives. And in Daniel chapter 3, they were commanded to bow down before an, a large statue of gold. They were commanded by King Nebuchadnezzar, bow down or die. In verse 16, they said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious and ordered them thrown into the fire. He was also quite shocked to see that they were still alive and that there was a fourth individual in the flames with them. They were clearly alive. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. They had an attitude similar to the Apostle Paul who eventually gave his life for Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he said, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Another reason to lay down our lives is given by Christ in John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When I was first thinking of this scripture, I was just thinking about the second part that says greater love has no one than this. But as I was reading the verse before and thinking about the context, uh, I came to realize that Christ is commanding this to, to us. We are supposed to love each other in the same way that Christ has loved us. And we are supposed to be willing to lay down our lives for each other. Of course, Christ laid down his life for us. But how much love do we really have for each other? And do we even think of each other? Christ says that this is a commandment. Christ also said in Matthew 16 Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Speaking on the meaning of life 
in Psalm 63, Matthew Henry says this. He says that the loving kindness is better than lives, plural, life, and all the comforts of life. Life in its best estate, long life and prosperity. God's loving kindness is in itself and in the account of all the saints better than life. It is our spiritual life and that is better than temporal life. It is, a, it is better a thousand times to die in God's favor than to live under his wrath. So we can understand life in different ways. We can say that God is the best thing that has happened to us in this life. Well, now I'd like to focus in a little bit more on Psalm 63. It's not just that there are some things in general that are better than life, but it's specifically the love of God. And I'd like us to consider the love of God. Psalm 63, starting in verse 1, it says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land, where there is no water. We see here the love that the psalmist has for God. And if you're like me, you probably are convicted, thinking about your own love for God or maybe your lack of love for God. But he says that he loves God even more than water when he's in such a place where you could potentially dehydrate. He's showing his love for God. And in The Ten Commandments by Tom Watson, Watson asks, what is love? Love is a holy fire kindled in the soul, whereby a Christian strongly seeks after and follows God as the supreme good. God is better than life, David is telling us. And in verse 2, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. The other week, when I was uh, waking up in my bed, my bed was right next to a window, and it just so happened as I was opening my eyes and turning towards the window that there was some light that shone uh, right into my eyes. And so it was kind of uh, startling because I was just waking up, and um, it also just so happened that on that very day I was reading this verse. And so I'm thinking about the brilliance of the sun, and this is saying that David is looking upon God and gazing upon God. And yet the scriptures tell us nobody can look upon God and live. And so this was what was going on in my mind on that day. Matthew Henry says that I may see your power and glory. He does not say I have seen them, but as I, as I have seen thee. In other words, it's not so much the power and the glory that is the utmost estimate in David's mind, but he is showing love for God. I have seen thee. We cannot see the essence of God, but we see him in seeing by faith his attributes and perfections. These sights David here pleases himself with the remembrance of. Those were precious minutes which he spent in communion with God. He loved to think them over again. These he lamented the loss of and longed to be restored to. Note. That which has been the delight and is the desire of gracious souls in their attendance on solemn ordinances is to see God and his power and glory in them. 
I don't know if you guys have ever watched the uh, show uh, Shark Tank, but uh, Shark Tank, it's, it's this show where there are these rich people, and they have a lot of money, and um, people will come to them asking for their money to invest in them because they have an invention, they have a business that they would like to see succeed. I was watching it one day, and um, one of these uh, people, they were turned down, and all the rich people are saying no. Um, it's no good. And uh, this person was quite visibly disturbed, and he actually wouldn't leave. And he told them, no, I, I won't leave. I came here to get your support. And unfortunately, um, they just started to mock him, <laughs> and, he, and he walked off. And uh, my uh, father was telling me he was pretty concerned about that man. Um, Reminds me of Jacob, who said he would not let go of God when uh, Jacob was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. He would not let go of the Lord until the Lord blessed him. Well, of course, course, uh, the Lord doesn't want us to leave, but... He wants us to have this kind of love for God, that God is the most important thing. Matthew Henry was speaking about the attributes of God, and A.W. Pink has written a book titled The Attributes of God. He has a chapter on the love of God, so I'd like to read some things uh, to us from uh, his chapter on the love of God. Quote, Three things are told us in Scripture concerning the nature of God. First, God is a spirit. Second, God is light the opposite of darkness. Third, God is love. It is not simply that God loves, but that he is love itself. Love is not merely one of his attributes, but his very nature. There are many who talk about the love of God who are total strangers to the love of God. The divine love is commonly regarded as a species of amiable weakness, a sort of good-natured indulgence. It is reduced to a mere sickly sentiment patterned after human emotion. The truth is that on this, as on everything else, our thoughts need to be formed and regulated by what is revealed in Scripture. That there is urgent need for this is apparent not only from the ignorance which so generally prevails, but also from the low state of spirituality, which is now so sadly evident everywhere among Christians. How little real love there is for God. One chief reason for this is because our hearts are so little occupied with his wondrous love for his people. The better we are acquainted with his love, its character, fullness, blessedness, the more our hearts will be drawn out in love to him. W. Pink made the following statements about the love of God. He says, the love of God is uninfluenced. The love of God is eternal. The love of God is sovereign. It is infinite. It is immutable. The love of God is holy. And the love of God is gracious. God has this wondrous love towards us. And we should wonder at God and praise him for it. And yet many times we have difficulties believing and appreciating the love of God. Myself included. And um, I'll go ahead and tell you some of those doubts that I've had. Actually, the last few weeks, I've had some many disturbing thoughts that have entered into my mind when I've woken up on my bed. Um, 
and essentially I was doubting the love of God. Pretty simple. How do I know that God loves me? And how do I know that uh, I'm not going to go to hell as the scriptures speak about hell? This might sound pretty juvenile to you, but I was terrified. And our faith is something, it's just that, it's faith. We have faith in the things that the scriptures tell us and the, the things that God has told us. We accept these things by faith. And getting slightly lost in uh, what I was planning to say, but uh, I was, you look around the world, we have so many horrible things that happen, as I was mentioning earlier. Thinking about these things, thinking about, well, there must be a hell. I mean, many people are living through hell, in, in sort of. Um, but as I continue to think about that, of course, the only reason we should believe in hell is because the word of God tells us so, that there is a hell. And if I'm going to believe in the word of God, that takes me back to believing the things that God says to us about himself in his word, that God is love and that he is a father. And so I was comforted in this time of doubt, but it wasn't too long before I had more doubts in the Lord. Uh, I was thinking about our neediness. Brother Brendan often says that we are a needy people. And it's very true because we're always turning to the Lord in prayer and we are supposed to do that. But what is our attitude to those needy people who are around us? Do, they, do we consider them our equals? Do we have great love for them? Are they our loved ones? How might God just think about it? We're so needy. God, I need you here. God, I need you there. And what do we have to offer God? Nothing. Everything we have has been given to us by God. It wasn't so much our sin that was causing me doubts, although there's plenty to think about there, but I was just thinking how needy we are and how much we depend on him. And yet the scriptures continue to tell us to call upon him. The scriptures tell us, cast our cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. And so I don't know if it's helpful for you to think on this, but I do struggle with doubt, and I have to turn to the Lord, and I have to think about the things that the Word of God tells us about His love. In this book, uh, titled John, or titled Communion with God by John Owen, um, I found so many helpful things, and I recommend this book to you guys. But here's some things that it said. It says, the love of the Father is the same for all whom He has chosen to love. Whom God loves to the end, He loves to the end. And he loves them all alike. On whom he sets his love, it is set forever. God's love does not grow to eternity or lessen in time. God's love is an eternal love that had no beginning and that shall have no end. It is a love that cannot be increased by anything we do and that cannot be lessened by anything in us. But the love of God may be seen to be changeable in two ways. First, God's love is changeable in its communications to us. What Owen is saying is that we do not always feel like God loves us. We do not always have God's love in our minds. In a sense, it's not always being communicated to us by the Holy Spirit is what he's saying. It may sometimes be greater, sometimes less. Who among the saints does not know the truth of this? 
with what life, what light, what strength does God's love appear to us at times? And at other times, how dead, how dark, how weak his love appears to be. All the graces of the Spirit in us, all sanctified enjoyments, whatever, are fruits of his love. How variously these fruits are brought to us. How differently at different times and seasons to the same person his love is felt. Experience will abundantly testify. Second, now he shines. And now he hides his face. But it is all done for our good. Our Father will not always chide in case we are cast down. He does not always smile in case we take his love for granted and neglect him. But still his love is always the same. When for a while he hides his face, he still gathers us with everlasting kindness. And I found this very encouraging because like Romans, which tells us that God works all things together for the good to those who love God, those who are the called, this is saying the same thing. This is saying that even when we are going through difficult times in life, and I suppose even having doubts, this is happening because God loves us and he's going to work something positive through this. So we can, we can agree that the love of God is beautiful. And we can turn to God. We can pray to him with all of our needs. Jesus Christ told us to pray in this way, Our Father, who art in heaven... He is our Father, and this is our Father's world that we live in, and we should see it in that way. I have a family dog who comes to me, and he's quite fond of me and my family members, and he'll just come right up to me and lay his head right upon me sometimes. And in the same way, we're supposed to rest on the Lord, even more so than that, the hymn says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. We are to have love for the Lord in return. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And of course, we have been forgiven so much. Because every day and so many moments, I suppose every moment, we are in some type of sin. The Lord is our shepherd and God is our father. Isaiah Chapter 44, verse 22 says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist return to me, for I have redeemed you. The love of God is a very beautiful thing. Have any of you guys watched the movie Snow White? The old movie a long time ago was a cartoon. Uh, if you have, you know that there's all this music, and uh, Snow White is is so beautiful, the fairest in the land. Uh, but beyond her physical beauty, there she has an aura about herself of beauty, and the animals are coming to her all the time, and uh, the dwarves are so happy. And there's this, she dies at one point, and then, and then, of course, she's brought back by a kiss, and then the music comes back, and it's her, she's back. 
the wonderful one has returned. And I kind of thought about um, different things, you know, maybe how uh, a mother, the place a mother might have in someone's life, or how different people in life can be so precious. But God is so beautiful to us because even when we wrong him over and over, and in spite of our great need, he's there for us. Speaking of Christ Jesus, a hymn says that Christ is the brightness of my Father's glory, that Christ Jesus is the sunshine of my Father's face. And another hymn says, Jesus, I live to thee, the loveliest and best, my life in thee, thy life in me, in thy blessed love I rest. Amen.